0: We began our say yes conversation last week with the most important yes that any of us will ever say. Last week we talked about saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to God. I had an interesting conversation this week with um, someone who has experienced in their life addiction and they have traveled through recovery and they were telling me that the uh, folks in recovery have an interesting saying. They'll say, you know, the recovery begins with acknowledging that there's something greater than you, acknowledging a higher power, and they'll say, hit your knees, you might as well because you're not very far from that, and often we get to that place, don't we, in our own self-management, when we're trying to make life work, we get to the place where we are barely off of our knees, you know, we're, we're just hanging on, and then we hear a word like You have cancer, or I don't want to be married anymore, or you're fired, and almost inevitably, we're there. And so the first yes that all of us need to say is to say yes to God, to surrender the direction of our life over to Him, to quit the self-salvation project because it's not working anyway. And then, having made that decision, The spiritual life, the Christian life, following Him is doing that every day, saying yes to God every day. Uh, Last week, we offered up this analogy of how to do your spiritual life, and we said there are kind of three ways of thinking about it. One way is canoe living, so you're working your brains out. You're managing your life. You're doing the best you can. You're, you're trying to make it go. And you're adding a layer of religion on top of it, let's say. But you're working really hard. And another approach to our spiritual life is what we would call draft living. You're hanging out on a draft. You're letting the current take you wherever it will. Maybe there's something greater than you. Maybe there's not. And you're hoping for the best. There's a third option. And it's the way of Jesus, really. We called it sailboat living. You don't determine your speed. You don't determine your drift on a sailboat. The wind does. But you have to raise the sails. And you have to trim them. And you have to tack. You have to participate. You have to say yes. And so last week we talked about sailboat living. And you and I are entering into sailboat living. So we're teeing up this morning with that. With the idea of sailboat living. So I'm going to ask before we look at a really electric passage of Scripture this morning, I'm going to ask if Jordan and Cassie would uh, lead us in prayer. And you guys just enter into this and enjoy this prayer.
1: There's no protection
0: As we, uh, first of all, say yes to you. As we let out the sails of our heart. And we invite you this morning to uh, speak to us. Because we, we need it. So we bring all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. And we surrender. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, well, one of the things that we said last week about saying yes to God, we said that saying yes to God includes, it might even begin with, uh, connecting to community. We said it's not a solo project. We went to a really awesome passage of Scripture that reminded us we need to help one another with this, and we can't get this alone. We have to connect. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that talks about that connecting business. And forewarned is forearmed, I'm going to talk this morning about serving, and I'm going to mention you, because we need it. We need to connect, we need to serve, you were not designed to come here and sit. So I am reserving right now permission to say that more than once this morning. You were designed to say yes, and that's going to be our topic today And what we're going to look at is a passage of scripture that tells us what we need to do if we're going to get out of church what we want to get out of it. So let's confess, Gateway has grown a lot over the last two years. We built this building two years ago, put it on this piece of property. And those of you who live in this area who've come here over the last two years, you know, you saw it going up. You might have wondered in the early days, what in the world are they doing over there? We started this building before Tall Cedars was even through to South Riding, some of you will remember. And quite a few of you have come to visit us, and thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you. If you're here for the first time this morning, it's a pleasure having you as well. And you've come, and you have had to answer questions like, you know, do I feel like I can connect here? Are they friendly enough? Can I listen to that old white guy talking on Sunday mornings? He's usually the one. You know, uh, this church is not big enough. For some of you, or others of you, you're thinking, "Those churches way too big. And those are all legitimate questions. Those are all the things that you have to answer. But once you kind of wrestle with some of that, and you decide, okay, when you say okay, you do not say okay to sit. You say okay to step in. So I'm going to speak very frankly to us and among us and about us this morning. And we're going to look at, as I said, an electric passage of Scripture, which the Apostle Paul talks about this. And he's going to give us five pretty clear directives that address how we do this. How do we get the most out of church? How do we become the church that Christ imagined? And how do we be church? We're going to talk about five things this morning. And we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to look because I'm going to be going through verse by verse here. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, it will be on the screen. It's also on your phone on mygateway.life. If you go to mygateway.life, there's a sermon card. The scripture will be there. Some of you maybe have the Bible app as well. But this is just an awesome passage of scripture, and I don't want you to miss this. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, there are going to be five things that help us be the church that Christ imagined. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and I'm going to read off the screen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Little parentheses here while you're standing. Ephesians is is one of the most awesome books in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church that he helped start, and the first three chapters, he's kind of reminding them of the basics of the faith. And if you read Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, you read what Paul teaches and then what he prays. Twice in that section, he prays for the Ephesians. Written out his prayer. If you read what he says and what he prays, you just get this incredibly clear idea of what we believe, what Christians are about. And then beginning in chapter four and in chapters four, five, and six, he kind of launches in so this is what your life should look like because we believe all of that. This is what your life looks like. And it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, he talks about honesty, he talks about marriage, he talks about children, he talks about working relationships, but he begins with the whole section of this is what it looks like for you and I Monday through Sunday. He begins that section with this. He begins by talking about community. So listen, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You may be seated. So here's what he says. If we want to get all that we can get out of church, we want to experience all that we were designed to experience. If we want to have community, and if we want to be the church that God imagined, five things. Number one, we will have to bear with one another. We will have to bear with one another. Evidently, You people are the kind of people that require patience. We'll have to be completely humble. We'll have to be patient, and we will have to bear with one another if we want to get out of church what we desire to get out of church. You've heard it said before. You've probably said it yourself. Church is not perfect. I mean, after all, it's made of human beings. You may have heard that before. I bet you some of you have said that before. Here's the thing. When you and I get into an actual conflict, We're on the ground, upset with someone about something or disappointed with leadership or disappointed with something that happened one Sunday morning or three Sunday mornings. Our response is almost always, what in the world? This is what we mean when we say church is not perfect. That's the manifestation of it. And what do we do with those circumstances? We bear with one another. Now, some of you are here this morning because you have left the church. Because you couldn't bear what was happening. Others of you have left because church dissolved, can't help that. Others of you have left because the, your church you were going to was just too far away, legit. But some of you have left because you could not bear what was happening. And that may be legitimate. Sometimes what happens in churches is so egregious that it cannot be tolerated. But be careful. Jesus' preeminent value for the church is unity. That's his number one priority. On the last night of Jesus' life, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Those of you who know the biographies of Jesus, you'll remember this incident. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, and we have that prayer. It's actually written down for us in John 17. He begins by praying for the disciples that are there with him, and then he prays for those who will hear about him from the disciples. That's us. We have a written prayer of Jesus' praying about us. And what does he pray? He doesn't pray that we'll have great faith. He doesn't pray that we'll have peace. He doesn't pray that our lives will be comfortable. He doesn't pray that we'll be blessed. And all of those things are things that he cares about. But he prays his number one priority. One thing. I pray, Father, that they will be one. As you and I are one. His one riveted priority for us is that we would be unified and the standard for that unity is the unity that God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit had. We will have to bear with one another in order to achieve that kind of unity. This is the kind of group, as I said, with whom patience is required. And if we're going to get all that we need to get out of church, we're going to have to exercise it. We're going to have to be completely humble, we're going to have to be patient, and we're going to have to bear with one another. The second major thing that Paul says is, if we're going to get the church that we desire, that we need, if we're going to be the church that Christ imagined, it will take work. Make every effort. Leave no stone unturned in your effort. Go to the nth degree to maintain The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Maintain. That means that he's done a work in us to bring us here. We don't believe you're here by accident. You've been drawn here. And you've been drawn here to connect to something. To connect to something. He is doing a work of unifying us. I'll say more about that in a minute. But we have to work to maintain it. I want to give you one example of the kind of thing that requires work of us. I mean, there are a lot of different lenses. Boys and girls, welcome. Our boys and girls are in with us this morning. And so far, you're awesome. We're going to do something in a minute. I'm going to have you stand up. So it's going to be fun. But thank you. You get to go home this afternoon and say, what was Pastor Ed talking about? And they better have an answer. I want you to tell me if they don't. So I was giving you a lens of looking at something that requires us to do work with one another. So let me just give you an example. Some of you here this morning are emotional, just your wiring, your, your makeup. You are emotional conservatives. You like tradition. Let's get best business practices. We might as, we don't need to make it up. You tend to be cautious. You almost always are political conservatives, not necessarily, but almost always you're political conservatives. Others of you are emotional liberals. You're a little more out there. You're a little more free-spirited. Some of us might call you flaky, but we'd be wrong. You might take more risks. We have to work to get along with one another. So emotional conservatives, you help the church maintain its focus on truth. You're into truth. You're underappreciated because it seems like the only time your emotionally liberal acquaintances pay any attention to you at all is when you're complaining about the rest of us getting off base. So it seems like the only time anybody ever hears anything from you is is what you're against. But that's not accurate. You need to be appreciated. And, And those of you who are emotional liberals, it takes work to appreciate your emotionally conservative friends and do that work to maintain the unity of the spirit. Emotional liberals, you help retain the church's openness to new ideas, to diversity, to the complexity of life. You force us not to oversimplify our answers. You need to be appreciated. And it takes work for the emotionally conservative among us to appreciate you. You tend to feel a little bit too open, sometimes even reckless. You you get dangerously close to compromise, to cowing, to what is culturally relevant just because it's culturally relevant. We have to do work to appreciate emotional liberals and it's work that we must do to maintain the unity of the spirit. Let me give you another lens. We could do this all day, but we've begun to become a fellowship of people who, of great diversity. There there are a number of people here who were not born in the United States. English is not your native language. A few of you barely understand me, and that's because my English is not very good, and it was my native language. But we come from very, very different cultural backgrounds. We can see the same situation, and we interpret it very, very differently. Sometimes, you know, I'll do things With you in conversation or around you that just completely misses, and vice versa. We have to work to maintain unity between us, but it's work that we must do because the unity that the Spirit is building here requires work. Third thing that the Apostle Paul wants to make sure we get we must remember that our unity is a spiritual reality based on God's sovereign work among us, it's not based on the stuff that we have in common. It's not found at this level. Our unity is based on, it's built on, it's founded on God's sovereign work among us. Let's try an exercise. I want you all, if you're able, to stand with me. I'm going to get down here on the floor so you won't all be able to see me, but you'll all be able to hear me. I want you to stand with me, and I want you to sit down if you fit into the category that I'm about to describe. So if you're under 21, I'd like for you to sit down. Okay, let's all stand back up again. If you speak a language other than English fluently, I want you to sit down. Stand back up again. If you were born outside of the United States, no, wait, let me take that back. If your parents were born outside of the United States, I want you to sit down. Wow. Okay, let's stand together. If your favorite kind of music is country music, I want you to sit down. Wow, I have nothing in common with some of you. Let's stand together. Some people like crowds. Some people like small groups. Some people like more just being alone. If you're the kind of person who likes crowds, sit down. Okay. If you're the kind of person who likes small groups, sit down. All right, let's stand together. Some people favor sort of the math and science realm of life. Some people favor language or creative arts. If you're on the math and science side of things, why don't you sit down? Okay. If you identify as white, sit down. Let's all sit down if you were born of a woman. <laughs> Do you recognize that the, the last category is the only category that got us all? Basically, the one thing that we all have in common is we're human beings. But other than that, there isn't a thing that draws us together, that holds us here apart from the work that God has done in Jesus Christ and is now spreading abroad to us. It is His sovereign work among us that builds our unity. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. That's the basis of our unity. Fourth, if we're going to get out of church what we desire to get out of church, if we're going to be the church that Christ imagined, then we've got to acknowledge that God has done a work in our lives, and the purpose of that work is to prepare God's people for service. And that's a mouthful. Let's break that into three component parts. Component part number one, God has done a work in your life. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I don't know many of you. Some of you I don't know at all. And there are many of you that I don't know well. I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know your likes and dislikes. But there's something I do know about you. God is doing a work in your life. He is working in you. Through circumstances, through the things that friends are saying to you, But what's happening in your work, at home, through stuff that percolates in you on Sunday morning, God is doing a work in your life. It's a work of grace. You're not getting it because you deserve it. You're not getting it because you earn it. He's just doing a work in your life. And it is His work in His way as He apportioned it. So it is a sovereign work based on His purposes. Second thing... That work is for others. He says in verse 12, to equip God's people for works of service. The work that God has done in us is not for our benefit. I'm going to say that again. The work that God has done in your life is not for your benefit. Now look, God builds peace around us and within us. Yes. He offers us peace. Financial and spiritual blessings, yes. He loves us, yes. And there are times, aren't there? Haven't there been times in your life when you've just gotten a hint of the the very edge of the taste of his love and it's, wow, that stuff is for you. But the work that he's doing in your life, forming you, and building skills and ability and thought and wisdom, that's for others. And if you allow that work to settle into you, wow, I just, I'm a better person than I used to be, and you sit on that, it grows stale. The work that he's doing in you, he's doing for others. He molds our character. He gives us abilities. That is to flow through you. The purpose of that is to prepare one another for service. So the purpose of the work that God is doing in me is on behalf of others so that I might prepare them to serve. We exercise our gifts. Listen, especially leadership gifts, and I know this is northern Virginia. There are a lot of people in here who have leadership abilities. You've had vast amounts of leadership training at your work. Those leadership gifts have been deposited in you so that you might prepare others for works of service. We do what we do for one another to enable one another to say yes. Number five, the point of it all. And when I say all, I mean all of God's work, all of our service, the work that we do with one another, for one another, and toward outsiders is that we would become all that Christ imagined, all that He wills. So that's where all of this is pointing. That we would become all that He imagined. I want to read verses 14 through 16 of that passage again. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things... Grow up into him who is the head. That's Christ. We will grow up more and more so that when someone walks in the door on a Sunday morning here at Gateway and they are feeling burdened, their marriage is falling apart. They are met here with someone who welcomes them and they feel a soft place and a sense of grace because we'll represent Jesus. They come in and they've just lost their job and they need help. We will welcome them and there might even be someone who can say, hey, you need to meet so-and-so. We will grow up into Jesus. That's the point of all of this. That's the point of our serving one another. That's the point of our leading one another That's the point of God working and depositing his his grace into our lives. Then we spill that grace out onto others so that constantly pointing them toward serving. And in that service, we represent more and more Jesus, what he wants and what he's thinking. I loved that picture that when Alex was up here interviewing uh, the kids and the Bridgers, I loved that picture of the Bridgers. Yeah. I loved this picture. Brian, as he said, Brian helps our equipment team. So after the 11 o'clock service about once a month, Brian and his family will break down all of these chairs, stack them, and take up all these carpets. This is a gymnasium during the week. And we have basketball teams that use this gymnasium, and our preschool that meets here uses this gymnasium. So we break it down, and our after-school program uses this gymnasium. And we also, then on Sunday morning, we have to set it up. Brian comes in about once a month, and he does this. Now, let me tell you, when Brian wakes up on the Sunday morning that he has to do equipment, you know, they got to get the kids ready and everything, Brian is not thinking, hot dog, I can't (laughs) wait to break me down some chairs. This is not what Brian is thinking, because you know what service feels like? Often, service. But I want you to look at Brian's helper. I sent them an email this week, and I said, you know, Brian, Kristen, can we use this picture? No is a possible answer. I know sometimes people don't want their kids up, but, you know, ellas we don't see her face. She's facing the other direction, first of all. And secondly, I don't think I'll spend much time on it. Sorry, Brian. It's now five-minute illustration. But if you don't want to show the picture because you don't want Ella's image on the screen, totally understand. If you don't want to show the picture because you don't want people to see your legs, can't do anything about that. Brian wrote back, ha, 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 yes, show the picture. So here it is. And I want you to see Ella, watch me, helping break down chairs. Standing on top of the chair, right? Here's what I want you to get out of this. What is Ella learning here? She's learning this is what you do. This is what you do. Parents, if you have young kids, this is how they learn. You are a parent, and what's been invested in your life has been invested so that you might train them to serve so that we all grow up into maturity and become the full measure of Jesus Christ himself. And it begins at the level of basic service. And that's a word for all of us. Okay, if you're looking in from the outside at the church this morning, I get it. I know you feel skeptical. You're thinking the church is a bunch of hypocrites. I want to challenge you with that. I'll challenge you first of all by saying yes. We are a bunch of hypocrites at Gateway. We are people who say one thing and do another. So if you're never that kind of person, you probably don't want to hang out here. But I suspect you are that kind of person. I suspect there are times when you say one thing and do another. The other thing I want to say about that is if you are looking for ammunition to arm your skepticism, I'm giving it to you this morning because What I'm talking about from your perspective could easily be seen as just feeding the machine, just make the church happen, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not Jesus' perspective on this, and that's not our perspective on this. Our perspective is we were made for this, and it's why he's doing what he's doing in us, and we are called to it, so you need to say yes. You have not been invited, and you've been invited. You've not been invited to be here so that you could sit You've been invited to be here so that you could take the work that God has done in you and invest it in someone else. And sometimes that means setting up chairs. And sometimes that means serving kids. We've got half as many people in the back working with kids, half as many as we need. And I mean just to keep their heads above water. Those folks in the back are serving every other month. We've got a lot of new people You keep bringing young kids. Stop it. Leave them at home. (laughs) I'm mostly kidding. But some of you are thinking, I don't want to work with kids. I have to work with my kids all week long. Okay, come and work with somebody else's kids. They're probably better than your kids. Or they'll treat you better than your kids do. We need help. So your alarm won't go off on Sunday morning, and you roll over and think, oh, boy, I get to be in the back with kids today unless you're my wife. It's exactly what happens when she gets to be in the back with the the children. And they love her. We have a man who works in the back, very large man, Jack, affectionately called Mr. Jack. He's been working in the back for years. Heather Janney, who's going to do our announcements in a few minutes, reminded me the other day when their daughter Amy, who's now 17 years old, I think, and it's, stop it, Amy. When Amy had her third or fourth birthday, I guess it was, first person on her invite list, Mr. Jack. I know, all, right? You don't get that unless you serve. You don't get to be that person unless you serve. And you will not wake up every time you serve and go, oh, boy, because most of the time service feels like service. What you need to do is Step in and say yes. Let's close in prayer again. So I'm just going to ask you to to be still for a moment and turn our sails, right? After the 9 o'clock service, I have to tell you, a couple of people came up to me. It surprised me. I wasn't expecting this from this message. A couple of people came up to me in tears. Both of them separate from one another saying, that message was for me. The second person who said it, I said, hey, no, <laughs> I think it was for me. But I think all three of us are being selfish. I think this is for you. It's for all of us. I'm even talking to some old-time gateway people who are a little bit weary. It's not time to grow weary in doing good. For in due season, Paul says, you'll reap a harvest. harvest of righteousness. Let's learn it.
1: Yeah, we don't have the words on the screen, but it's really is we're going to sing the bridge from that song. I let out the sails of my heart. Here I am.
0: I want you to imagine you think of the Holy Spirit breathing and moving you propelling you forward and this morning you whatever it is saying yes we're going to say that in a prayer together by singing this chorus I let out the sails of my heart here I am here you are that's all we need Here I am, here you are, let's do our thing. Let's stand together. You don't need words since there aren't any. Those of you who like to pray with your eyes closed, let's do this with our eyes closed. Those of you who want to keep them open, feel free. I let out the sails. Don't care if you can't sing, flyer, sing on this one.
1: I let out. I let out the sails of my heart my heart oh, oh, here I am here come
0: on choir I let out I let out
1: the sails
0: Father, hear us this morning as we bring all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you, and we say yes. And if on Thursday we have forgotten that we said yes this morning, then we give you our full-throated permission to remind us, yes. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, It's so great having you. Go in peace.